Yeah, brother. There's a lot of people out there talking about us, for us, at us, but seldom with us. So it's time that we get out there and express our voices, share our worldview, and become accountable. Why? Because I am Five Fibs. A podcast that invites free-thinking black men into a shared space for unapologetic conversations about contemporary issues related to self, society, and the world. So join us for these provocative moments. Let's get at it. Welcome to I Am Five Fifths. I'm your co-host, Ahmad Mansour. And I'm your co-host, Bill Thomason. What's going on, Dollar Bill? Hey, Black man, we got a special, special, special guest today, man. I can't wait to hear from my boy, Boyce Watkins, man. Or I should say, Dr. Boyce Watkins, man. I want to make sure I give him his full props. Absolutely. This is going to be a great uh, podcast today. So anybody listening in, stay tuned. It's going to be good. No, I'm I'm excited for it too, brother. So today, as as, uh, Dollar Bill said, we do have... Dr. Boyce Watkins, and even though this brother does not need an introduction, we will oh. take we will take a couple of seconds just to say a couple of things about him, and then we're just going to let him fill in the blanks after that. So Dr. Boyce Watkins is a successful entrepreneur. He's the founder of the Black Business School, a financial education company that focuses in on providing Black people with wealth building strategies. And in addition to that, He runs several enterprises, which I would not name off, probably because I don't know them all. Uh, But he does run those successfully, uh, once again, providing services to to Black America. I know one of them is a media company, and he does events. And uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins is a popular uh, YouTube media host with several channels that he graciously provides uh, to a community of, uh, of other professionals so that they can get the word out. And uh, he has a PhD in finance, former professor of Syracuse University. Brother Boyce Watkins, welcome to I Am Five Fifths. How you doing, brother? I'm doing very well. I'm feeling like seven fifths today. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that good news? Yes. Right yes. on, brother. Right Ooh, on. Man. I love it. I love it. So today, you know, as we were kind of putting together this uh, this episode, we thought it would be a great idea. We wanted to bring you in because for Bill and I, for Dollar Bill and I, and by the way, boys, we call him Dollar Bill. Um, <laughs> All right, Dollar Bill. <laughs> you, you ain't got to do that, man. <laughs> you, don't, you, you don't have to do it, but that's what I call it. That's what I call it. And I call him Bob Fillmore Black. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. But as you know, uh, boys, uh, so this year is um, our, this is our, this is our maiden voyage year. And so we're actually ending the year with you as we, um, as this is our first, our, our, I guess you could say our, um, what do they call it? Not our first episode. What do they call it? Our first season, I guess you could say. Yeah. So we wanted to uh, really end the year by looking at 2021 and kind of getting them like a really broad perspective around the economy and, and Black America and and really what we could look for moving forward into 2022. So we thought you would be the perfect guest for that. So thank you for coming on today. 
Sure, sure. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to talking about all of that. Good, good. So, you know, you've been involved with a range of activities and, um, and really thought that you would be the perfect person for this. And as you know, you're pretty active in the community as, a, as an expert, leader, mentor. Some folks even see you as an uncle. <laughs> so generally speaking, what, so what is the, kind of the overall mission of, uh, of what you're doing and what you're providing through all your enterprises to Black America? Well, I, I think that freedom is a, is a great place to start. Um, you know, when they talk about the inalienable rights, uh, this is how I explain to my daughter what I do for a living and what, she, what I think she should do when she grows up. I started talking about the inalienable rights, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I said, uh, what does that really mean? Uh, we know what it means to have life. Uh, liberty, we think we kind of know what it is, even though uh, studies actually show that we don't live in an uh, in a actual democracy anymore. Uh, the, the experts are now saying that America is no longer a democracy. It's, it's something else. Um, but uh, we, we know what liberty kind of looks like. And then also the pursuit of happiness. I said, so think about that, right? I said, you know what it means to be happy? Like if you're happy, you know, you can tell me when you're happy. You can tell me when you're sad. And I said, so the pursuit of happiness, that means you're pursuing happiness. Uh, that means that, you know, if you're in uh, one place and happiness is in another place, you have to figure out one, where happiness is located. And then two, you have to go pursue it. I said, so to understand what happiness looks like for you and where it's located, that requires self-awareness, you know, just knowing who you are. Uh, And I think for Black people as a collective, you know, we're still learning who we are, uh, going all the way 30,000 years back to ancient Kemet, you know, whatever that that journey means, uh, find out who you are. So self-awareness is important. And then also, uh, you know, that ability to pursue happiness requires freedom. Because if you don't have freedom, then even if you know what happiness is and where it is, where it's located, you can't go pursue it because you're not free to do that. So a lot of people on a daily basis can't pursue happiness because they got to get up and go go to work for some white man who hates their guts. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever. Right. That's right. You know, it's, it's that basic like those basic freedoms. Right. So but but if you give freedom to somebody who doesn't have self-awareness and doesn't know what makes them happy, then they become very depressed and sad. Like when Deion Sanders talks about how he used to be. uh you know, one of the richest athletes around and had all the women and all the fame and everything else, but he was very depressed. He was suicidal. Yeah. And I think that came from the fact that he didn't, he didn't know what would make him happy. He thought the money and the women and the jewels right. were going to make him happy. And it was deeper than that. So um, in my view, in terms of what I'd like to give to the world is an understanding of what that looks like, those inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which is linked to freedom, uh, linked to self-awareness, and then at that point, whatever people want to do with that, um, it's up to them. But I, I think right. when a person is self-aware and they and they have freedom to pursue the happiness that they have decided works best for themselves, that person is usually going to unlock their superpower and become their best self. So that that's the overall objective. Yeah, right on. So so if, if, let me just follow up with that. So you did mention self-awareness, and and I agree with you, man. I think that's like a really critical part of really kind of understanding the universality of things and really how you want to pursue that path um, without, you know, without being, um, end up becoming a product um, of the things that are going on around you. Um, where do you think Black America is in terms of its its self-awareness, its level of consciousness uh, on the spectrum of kind of moving towards that, uh, that, that, pers- that better pursuit of happiness? 
I think that <clears throat> we're, we're getting better. Um, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, the, um, <clears throat> the cat's out the bag, so to speak, in terms of us starting to see our potential, uh, starting to see some of the things that we might want to address, some of the things that, that aren't quite right about the way, you know, our country works. Um, I think that uh, we have a lot to be proud of. Um, I think I, I, I collectively I see the needle moving forward. I, I you know, just the basic idea that it, people are less afraid of being black than they were even 10 years ago. You know, there's a time where just being just saying black would just fear people, you know, <laughs> you know, we started the Absolutely. black business school. People are like, well, why would you call it the black business school? And people right. don't not let you black. Well, you know, wrong with being black, you know, like yeah. that's that's OK. Like, that's not a crime. Uh, and so uh, I, I think I think that we we're, we're making progress in certain areas as long as we're guiding, as long as we our bus is going in the right direction, as long as we're driving the bus. But when other people are driving the bus, they're driving it off a cliff. And, uh, and, and I was talking to a friend today who's, uh, whose mother was a drug addict and she talked about how traumatic it was to have a relative as a drug addict and, uh, being in and out of homeless shelters and, you know, in and out of court systems and raised by the system and then by her grandmother and how painful that was. And I said, with all the pain that black people have experienced because of drugs, I have no idea why we allow people to promote drug addiction to our young people on the radio. Right. You know, like that that just I mean, I just don't understand it. I said, I, I get it. I hate drugs. My father went to prison for drugs. I saw what drugs did to some of my loved ones. Kids just zapped their potential. And and, and 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 so that's an example to me of scenarios where uh, that lack that lack of knowledge of self uh, where other people are driving the bus, where the sure. bus is getting driven off a cliff. So so you don't have one outcome for black people. Some black folks are just elevating on every generation. And some black folks are headed deeper and deeper into a, a, you know, a bigger abyss. Boys, let me ask you something, man. You know, I want to go back to this pursuit of happiness. You know, one of the things I used to do with, you know, you know, I have a youth program uh, called the Wall Street Wizards. And I remember in one of our classes, I actually read uh, the Bill of Rights and talked about the Constitution. And, you know, there's and that's really where we derive the name for this podcast, you know, five fifths as opposed to three fifths of a man. Right. And as I told uh, Ahmad a few times, anybody that's listening that don't know what we're talking about, go get it and go find it out. Right. Because the, the information is there. But the pursuit of happy. I remember talking about that in one of the Wall Street Wizards classes. And one of the young brothers raised his hand and said, wasn't that a movie with Will Smith in it? And, and I said, I said, yeah. I said, but do you know where that came from? And he was like, no. And so we start, that's when I started saying, all right, let me, let me dig a little deeper. Let me ask you something, man. You know, I want to go back to this pursuit of happiness because I've always had a conversation of what real happiness is. And of course it's individual, right? Everyone's happiness, it can be derived from something different. Like for me, I derive happiness from music, right? That's one of the things that I derive happiness from. But I wanted to talk about in the today's economy, you talked about when you talk to your daughter and you're explaining it to her. How deep do you go with that, man? Like, because you and I know that the life that we lead every day is different from the life that a white person leads, an Asian person leads. And now the new 
cool, the new cool uh, person of color on the block is the Indian, right? It's a different world. They the new, they the new people, right? They they cool now. They got TV shows. They got movies. So what? How do you explain that to your daughter? Like, what is real happiness, and how do you pursue it in America? Well, uh, I, I I talk to my children about self determination a lot. Okay. Um, I don't doubt that there are systematic factors that affect our access to certain things um, or things that will affect us. I, I, all those things are real. But I have just found in my experience that the number one determinant of where my life ended up was what I chose to do. Mm-hmm. Like that's, I mean, that, that I'm not saying those other things don't matter. They do matter without a doubt. Sometimes we get real unlucky and things go wrong and all that. But, you know, I think when you have somebody that just really understands who they are and what they are supposed to be all about, you can put them in the middle of anything, you know, like, like you could take a, a Bill Thomason or a mod and, Put you know you can put them in the middle of a crack infested neighborhood and <laughs> all that, but they're not gonna start smoking crack, right? You know, right, <laughs> like, right, you know what right. I mean? Like like you, you right. Get right? So um, you know, so so I I talked to her a lot about um, the fact that I believe that uh, that that really kind of just saying you know that who am I? How do I feel about myself? What am I going to personally choose to do? I think a black person has a right to do that now. You know, maybe maybe in slavery it was it was harder to be self-determined as a black person because you literally had no choice. Yep. But yeah. you know, ain't no white man never stopped me from reading a book. Yep. You know, I've never met a white man who stopped me from starting a business. Man, maybe they might have stopped me from getting access to capital. Right. <laughs> it right made that right, more difficult, right? Right. right, but, right but they, right. but but even then, they didn't stop me. They just, you know, didn't allow me to have the same. Um, access that he might have, you know, so the access he might have to his banks might be different from what I might have access to, you know, and uh, and it's not right, it's not fair, you know, it, nothing is fair. America is not fair. Uh, but I do think that in general, you know, when, when I talk to the kids about being happy, how deep do we go? Well, we talk about things like, okay, how do you really measure your quality of life? Well, how do you know if you have a good life or a bad life? What, what does that mean? Is, that, is it measured mm-hmm. by how much money you make? Uh, I don't think so. That's a factor, but that's not the only factor. How much education you have? No. How much status you have? Well, that's kind of that's kind of a artificial fleeting sure, kind sure. of thing. So, right. I say, so I say, okay. I, typically, people measure quality of life in three areas: health, wealth, and relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. If I if I say, hey Bill, hey man, I ain't seen you in a minute, man. How you been? Well, if, if Bill is like, you know, got cancer and he's about to die, he might be like, yeah, man, the cancer kicked back in and, and I'm not doing so well, right? That's health, right? Mental and physical health. Uh, or, you know, Bill, I, I know Bill's balling. He's making big money. He's a big hedge fund manager, right? That's wealth, right? We both kind of talk about what we're doing professionally. And then, you know, I got married, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I got married and met this beautiful black woman. She's going, that's my queen. Relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, let me tell you about the kids, da, da, da. Right. So so when I try to figure out, like, where am I on the needle? Like, where where is my am I having a good life or a bad life? I think about, you know, OK, do I do I have inner peace? Uh, am I getting enough sleep? Am I am I am I eating the right foods? Am I around the people that I want to be around? Um, right. And then I look at those three areas, health, wealth and relationships. How's my health? How's my how's my money looking? Do I have because you know, a lack of financial security can mess everything else up. Uh, and then how are my relationships? The most important, say four or five relationships in my life, 
What's the status of those relationships? Where do I need to invest? Where do I need to divest? Where do I need to diversify? Right? Where do I need to double down? Right? All these things, you know, so so in a way, I would say that that's a good place to start. And that's important to have that awareness, I believe, because the world will trick you into thinking that the things that don't matter actually matter. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you, and it's so glad to hear this, because I think like in the black, what I call the black zeitgeist, you know, that there has a, there's a tendency, especially these days, to really for the the core message that comes out is around you know the you know the what I call the black misery index and really kind of pushing <laughs> you know and, and and really pushing and really pushing racism as the core problem but what I'm hearing you say is that you know notwithstanding that um that there's there's a certain degree of agency that should be part of the message what, what, what do you think about today's environment where, you know, you, you have a lot of the kind of the, the black political uh, and media class really kind of pushing these, 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 these woke narratives that really moves us away from our own sense of uh, agency as a, as a communications message to, uh, to the black community? You know, I, I think it's interesting because um, I totally understand the, the desire and necessity to talk about the way others might treat us or feel about us. Um, there is a certain significance or, or, or growth that comes with being aware of the fact that racism exists. I mean, it's, it's not more annoying than like you go to work, and you talk to that black person who just thinks everything's fine and dandy. Right, and right, right. Being black, yeah. You know, there's nothing tough about being black. But uh, and I and I've gone down that path. But then I kind of realized that I felt like I felt like I was being hustled a little bit. Because then I started seeing the racism that comes from the people who are always telling us about racism. And I realized that sometimes they can be giving you a crutch. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and I and I, you know, and I and, and it's like, okay, so I'm constantly being told that the black box is a terrible box, that it's hard to live in the black box. Being in the black box is 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 the worst thing in the world. And it's like living in a room full of fungus and mold, and you can't, you know, accomplish nothing because you're in the black box. And then I started looking around and I, see, I realized the person who's telling me how terrible the black box is are the people who actually benefit from the existence of that box, the ones who built the box, you know, and I, and I look particularly at our so-called friends in the, you know, in the, say on the liberal side of the fence, um, who unfortunately in many cases can be as racist as anybody well, totally. else. Absolutely. You know? And, yeah. um, and, and I, I just, and then I, I started realizing, wait, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not trying to let y'all lead that conversation anymore. Um, I think that it, I think we should. I think it's okay to have a conversation about race and racism and racial differentials and race gaps and all of that, right? I have those conversations all the time. We do a book club with Dr. Claude Anderson. Sure, sure. And that's all we talk. We'll break that down. My uh, man, love him. He, oh, he's a great. He's a great Detroit man. baby, Detroit. Oh, he's the best. He's the best. And, and and you know, but I think that those conversations have to be led by black people. Mm-hmm. That's right. really it. Like we got to be the ones to kind of say. Well, what are we concerned about? What matters to us? Like, I, like one example is, um, I remember hearing a lot of people talking during the election about how all these Trump supporters are going to get together and come kill us all. And, right, exactly. You know, yeah. and the race war and all that. And and and, and I haven't, the only Trump supporters I've known who've attacked a black person is Jussie Smollett. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like only when they be Jussie. You know, and, and, and I'm like, wait, so y'all can't find, I mean, it, just, it, again, it, I'm not making, I'm not saying that they, these are good people or bad people or anything. I'm saying 
look, you know, if 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 we're really uh, if our lives are really in danger from all these Trump supporters coming to kill us, you wouldn't have had to make a story up in order to make your point. You could have found examples. It, it would be happening everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But so so here's the thing that's interesting, right? So I'm hearing people tell me that black people are dropping like flies because Trump supporters are killing us and these viruses are taking us out. Okay, I get all that. That's all real. That's all out there, whatever. But but the interesting thing is that black people are dying at a significant rate, but that's not what they're dying from, right? right? They're, they're dying from <clears throat> things like, uh, I know- Diabe- Diabetes. There you go, <laughs> diabetes. <laughs> right? got, the, got the word that's dying, right. right? Diabetes, strokes, heart disease, uh, homicides. Yep. Homicide, uh, right? yeah. Friend, yeah, right. friend call, yeah, I had a friend call me yesterday and tell me about a young kid, 28 years old, had his whole life ahead of him, just guy walks up, shot him in the head in the grocery store. You know, and, and none of this gets covered when we're talking about Black Lives Matter. That right there tells me that black lives don't matter. Your finger is not on the pulse Absolutely. of the black community. Yeah. In fact, that's why um, recently I saw with the Black News Channel uh, is struggling so much financially. They're laying a bunch of people off and all this other stuff. Mm. And, and I just said, you guys are good. You have good content. But I don't think your fingers on the pulse of the people. Because, uh, because you're ahead, talking about a lot of things that the black folks I know are not even really addressing those issues. Yeah, I, and, and I just to follow up on that. See, I, you know, what I see, Boyce, is that you know, like black people are always going to have a certain level of sensitivity around racism. Like it's built into our to our DNA to to see when there is certain types of injustices that are taking place to us or in our community. But it just seems like now that racism is 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 overperformed. You know, like 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 it, it seems like that that race has become commoditized, you know, in a way where just putting that narrative out there all the time gets people riled up, especially for the Democratic Party, you know, because the Democratic Party, they know where those, you know, they know where those buttons are. And those buttons have a tendency to happen right around, as it will be, elections, around 2022. You know, so the reason why I kind of put that question out there is because, you know, sometimes I wonder who, you know, who gets to control the message and how much do we critique uh, those who are laying this type of narrative out there so much that it may have an impact on how kids think of themselves. Like, I, I you know, I'll never forget looking at uh, a BLM march and they had this little young, cute <clears throat> little girl and, uh, and she was walking down the street. They were, they were saying no justice, no peace, right? And they had this picture of her, man. She was she was up there and she had some of the angriest look on her face as she said, no justice, no peace. How old was she? You remember? Man, this is the thing, yes. man. She was she was about seven. Okay. You know, and so I, I'm saying to myself, you know, how much is her life impacted by a narrative that is driven in a way that gets her to not really understand her own as Boyce, as you were saying earlier, pursuit of happiness. Like how much will this kind of dominate uh, um, kind of the, the mindset that she, that, that ends up like driving uh, what she can be in life. And so that, that, that's only my concern. My concern really has to do with how much of that narrative get, get driven. And when I think of the Democratic Party and, and the, polit- the Black political class, sometimes what I get concerned about is how the meshing of culture and politics uh, that that there's no separation between the two at this point. Mm. 
That's that's heavy, man. Um, I, I yeah, I I know that when my when my kids my, my daughter talked to me the other day about racism and um it, and I think we went to we were gonna go eat somewhere and she said, well, I heard that they're racist and and I said, don't don't spend your life worrying about what white people think about you. Mm-hmm. That's it. You know, they they ain't, they ain't worried about how what you think about them. Right. You know, mm-hmm. they're not interrupting their lives on a daily basis because they're concerned about, you know, about how black people, what black, what a black person said about them and all that, you know, and, and I, and here's the reality about race and racism, because I, and this is what I did. I literally had the conversation with, I said, I said, so um, I said, have you ever, have you ever seen me talk about white people around the house? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, do you think I hate all white people? She said, no. I said, but have I said anything about white people that, that sounded like I didn't like white people? She said, yeah. You know, and I said, that's exactly right. It's because right. life ain't black and white. It's shades right. of gray. Everybody talks shit about everybody else. Totally. White totally. people talk shit about us when we ain't around. We talk shit about them. You know, we talk shit about them. We, you know, Asians talk shit about Arabs and, <laughs> you know, Jews talk about, you know, like Muslims. Absolutely, and, man. You know, and, and that, and, but that doesn't mean you hate every mm-hmm. single member of that group. You know, but we have frustrations with each other. And what, what I think should sort of be the conclusion with this is, yeah, you know, ain't nobody really gonna love you but yourself. You know, it's when yeah. it comes to loving black people, that's our job. I don't need a white man to validate my existence for me to feel like I'm an important person. I don't if I if I say the word black lives matter, well, who are you saying it to? Who are you trying to convince? You know, yeah. why why do you keep yelling it down the street? Like you don't understand your life matters. If your life matters and you don't need to go yell it out to the whole world, you just live that. Right. So so you, you're not a person you're a person who thinks your life matters, but you're not a person who knows your life matters. You know, like I know my life matters. That's why I don't have to say it. Right. Mm-hmm. So so that whole campaign, that whole idea of somehow, you know, feeling that if we if we convince white people to be nicer to us and to like us more, then our lives will be better. I don't doubt that things might change. I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't some progress that can be made there, but there's something weird about that. It's it's all it's it's a, it's really a very subtle form of white supremacy, because remember, you if you can't flip that script, white people are not sitting around protesting all day trying to get black people to accept them. Nope, they they, they don't care. Exactly. Right. Hey, so so Bill, I mean, excuse me, Boyce, Bill, if you don't mind, I just want to hit this one here. So you know, Boyce, you talk a lot about uh, black economics, and you kind of use Dr. Claude Anderson, which we were getting into earlier. That's kind of a, a guidepost. You know, I, I often hear you uh, speak about it. You just talked about uh, kind of having a book club about it. Can you speak more about um, Black economics um, and also what is what is that blu- what does that blueprint look like in mass um, if we were to kind of be in an optimal state, um, kind of using the uh, Claude Anderson model? Well, um, Okay. Well, well, his model. I'm not as good at his model as I All am. All right. Well, well, I, I know. That, well, I know that you, you you embrace it. So yeah. Oh, I absolutely embrace right. it. And um, and I will say, you know, without without trying to overspeak for Dr. Anderson, who is, you know, um, I mean that that's brilliant, your, brilliant. Yeah, that's that's your that's your guy. That's your W. E. B. Du Bois. That's your Garvey. That's your Frederick Douglass type person. That's you know. So so I I think that we need to really make sure we give him his flowers while absolutely. he's here. Because he's so relevant. Absolutely. Um, but, but generally speaking, 
what I took from Powernomics, and uh, every Wednesday night we are reading his other book, Black Labor, White Wealth. We're going to move to Powernomics next, and mm-hmm. and it's open for the whole community. Um, is uh, you know, my my view my view of Powernomics, what got me, and what I think um appealed to a lot of uh, a lot of people. There's a lot of very prominent people. Kanye West, you know, called me to ask about Powernomics. Uh, Ice Cube, Charlemagne the God, Tiffany Haddish, uh, Wesley Snipes, like a, a lot of people love Powernomics, and I think what resonates is it gets into kind of saying, let's stop just sitting around and complaining Mm -hmm. about what people are doing to us. Let's empower ourselves to do things for ourselves and to understand that we live in a world where power is what matters more than anything else, that you're going to make more progress by uh, displaying your power and, and effectively utilizing your power than you will by simply begging powerful people to be, um, lenient toward you or to be um you know uh, not only say forgiving but you know what i mean to kind of kind of lay right. off and, and and lift you up a little bit and so um so so i so i think dr anderson's model is is significant because it also goes back to economics it goes back to the really insidious form of racism in america that nobody talks about which is economic racism economic apartheid mm-hmm. uh you know and and i would encourage anybody you know if you're sitting down with a Democratic Party politician or whomever who's telling you Black Lives Matter and we're going to do this for racial justice and that for racial justice. Okay, well, uh, to me, racial justice means economic justice. So that means, for example, when I go to downtown Chicago and uh, and I see that the streets are clean and and the birds are chirping, the sun is out and the, these big hundred million dollar buildings are everywhere. Everybody's nice and safe. Nobody's getting killed down there. None of that. Um, but then I go to South Side, West Side, Chicago. Suddenly, uh, there's homicides on every corner, uh, burned down, mm-hmm. torn down buildings. Uh, you know, streets are just messy and dirty because they're not even cleaning up the streets. That is that right there tells me that you don't see black people and white people as, as equal because you're taking care of one community, but neglecting and ignoring another, but yet expecting political support from the community that you're neglecting. And so, um, so I would say that if you want to prove to me that you're a true ally, then put your money where your mouth is. Uh, go down to downtown Chicago, give me take about five of those hundred million, two hundred million dollar buildings and hand them over to black people. Let us let us own those assets. You know, and that's the thing you'll notice is that they will tell they'll blow smoke up your butt all day and tell you how how black is beautiful and all that. But ask them to share the money and see how the conversation changes just like that. See that what they do with black folks, in my view, is they love to have these immature third grader conversations with black people when it comes to race. The third grader conversation is. You know, we think it's wrong that that black that white lady cut in line of that in front of that black man at the grocery right. store, or or this person called a black man the n word. That's terrible. We don't tolerate that kind of racism. But when you start <laughs> having grown up conversations about things like access to capital, like okay, mm-hmm. how come a white boy from Stanford can go borrow a hundred million dollars for a startup, and black we got black geniuses that are already they got businesses that are making money already that can't even get a loan for a hundred grand at the yeah. bank. Can't but scale. They, they, that conversation gets taken off the table. And a lot of the reason that it happens is because of the weapon of mass distraction. If I keep you distracted on little stuff, we can't never get to the big stuff. Because right. I got one crisis after another, I'm going to throw at you every election cycle. Oh my God, the Trump supporters are going to come kill you. And they all got COVID, right? And the next thing you know, we go into <laughs> panic mode and we stop negotiating. And then you get the Negro minions, these, these, these fake black leaders 
who are pretty much just black. They're just Negroes that were put on TV. So we somehow think that somebody that was put on TV is a black leader. We need to kill that right away. Oh, the, man. The Pre preach, brother. Preach. You know what I mean? The minions will get out and they'll start saying, forget about forget about it. Asking for anything. Forget about the black agenda. We need to we need to get Trump out of office. You know, I, 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 I there are some of us who never fell for that. You know, nope. and uh, and nope. I hope in the next election that we'll have more people that don't fall for the okie doke. If you can't sit down and negotiate in a rational fashion, uh, with 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 some sort of courage and, and willingness to take it all the way to the line, meaning like, look, I'm you know I'm ready to lose this election if necessary, in order to prove to you how serious I am, then you'll never get what you want. You know, which, which was so interesting, man. Just seeing how did they how they tried to roll up on Ice Cube with that, and mm -hmm. and you know, and and you know, I know you had him. You did have him on your show, if, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. I was right there. I was right there with Ice Cube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he would call me right after some of those real interesting conversations. It, it was very disrespectful. The Democratic Party's reaction to him was incredibly disrespectful, both pri both privately and publicly. Well I, well, I think it told everything. I think, I mean, if 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 there were if there were any ever anything that was considered to be hidden, I think after Ice Cube, um, the story was pretty much told. So, I, and so in many ways, he kind of he kind of took one for us, man. But it, it it should definitely send us in a direction in which we don't fall for the okie doke anymore. You know, at least they. I I've, I don't I don't even play in those woods. So, so so boys, I want to throw something out, man. You know, here's a conversation I've had ad nauseum. So let's talk a little bit about that economics. So, and banks. So we got a few black banks now, right? One, one is uh, Green. Is it Greenwood in Atlanta? The one that was started by Killer Mike. Yeah, Killer Mike. Is that black owned? Don't I tell don't me care. it's not. Well, I'm not gonna say it's not black owned, but 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 uh, I talked to someone from another financial institution who said that Greenwood isn't a bank, I, and I gotta understand exactly what it is. But I, not to say that Killer Mike isn't doing something great, um, but but he seemed a little skeptical of what people thought it was versus what it actually does. But, okay. You know, but I but I, I applaud Killer Mike because I like the guy and I think that what he's doing is is good. So this ain't a criticism at all. But that's just honestly what I heard. So what I reason I'm bringing that up is I wanted to talk about when you talk about black economics and you talk about how black business can't even go to a, a bank and get a loan. So I always come back to, okay, how many of us actually as black people have our money in a black bank? And, mm -hmm. and let's talk about that for a minute, because if, if we're going to talk about money and custody of assets and loans and investing, then we have to be in a position where we own and control the assets. Now, being, you know, as Ahmad knows, I love telling the fact I'm born and raised in Detroit. I'm proud of that. And one of the things that Detroit had in 1970, they started a black bank called First Independence. It's still around, still rolling. Uh, the founder's widow is the major majority shareholder. It is a black owned bank. But like a lot of black banks, they're struggling because people don't put their money in them. And so that's a conversation I've had because I don't have most of my money in a black bank. I don't, but it's because they can't give me the services that I need and the resources that I need as a person who works in finance every day. 
And and that's part of a conversation. Look, Ahmad knows I love just putting stuff out in the, uh, being transparent and putting folks on blast. So I even went to the president of First Independent Bank in Detroit. Ahmad, you know how I roll. You know I'll pick up the phone and call somebody and ask for a meeting and say, hey, man, here, I'm a hedge fund manager. I want to come in and rap with you. And I just remember rapping with this cat at First Independence in Detroit and talking to him about the, you all need to invest in some things that would make, say, people like me want to put my money in a bank like this. Because the only thing they offered was, what was it, uh, car loans and small loans. I don't even think they did mortgages, mm. right? They had a credit card and they offered car loans. And then just your basic retail services. Mm -hmm. So part of it, boys, is why I'm bringing that up is there's also a conversation where we need to create the infrastructure for ourselves to support our own thing. Other communities have done it, right? The Koreans have done it. The Chinese have done it. The Japanese have done it. The Indians are doing it now where they have their own banks and own resources in their communities where they can go. Because the first thing, you know, when you were sitting about talking about we've got these black geniuses, let me be honest with you, man. Who's their first phone call? It ain't usually a black person. A lot of times it is someone white. They're trying to come out here to Sand Hill Road and get funding. Trust me, ain't a whole lot of brothers on Sand Hill Road, if it is any. So I guess part of what I'm I'm coming at was I love the fact that you're right, man. You know, we got to learn to support our own. But at the same time, at some point, we got to start building our own infrastructure. Like whether I don't know about Greenwood. I don't have any money there. Um, and I'll be blunt. I reached out to him on LinkedIn because I, I wanted to see if I could put some hedge fund money in the bank. Just open up an account and put a little, you know, little money in a money market fund just to support him. I couldn't even get a phone call back. Mm -hmm. So I, I just said, man, that's part. See, to me, that goes to infrastructure, right? That goes, and, and probably they looked at me and probably said, well, that brother ain't legit. Because that's another thing we get, right? We always get questioned, <laughs> right? And I know as a brother with a PhD in finance, I know people look at you all because you and I have rapped about this over the years. I've known you roughly what 15 years. Yeah, yeah. You and I used to have them conversations about here. You are a black man with a PhD and people still question your qualifications and what you, and what you can and cannot do. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're right. You know, and I mean, I, I think there's people out there on the internet that still think my PhD is fake. They are. Uh, I, mean, I believe it. You'd be amazed at how the rumors, you know, I mean, it's, it's hilarious. To me. But, you know, I what I find is that it's like you have people that have faith in black people. And then those that just, you know, have been scarred for whatever reason. And the trust really isn't there. And uh, and that's honestly why I you'll never hear me disrespect, you know, my friends in, in for example, the Nation of Islam or Hebrew Israelites, et cetera. Um, uh, and people make fun of the conscious community and pan-Africanness and all that, mm -hmm. which to me, that's about the most ignorant thing you could do. 
because those are actually the people who believe in black people the most. Mm-hmm. But they they don't they 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 didn't kind of um, raise themselves in, a, in with a narrative that says you know okay we're gonna we're gonna do this black thing until we can get white folks to help us out. You know they're not they're not doing that. They're not thinking that blackness is sort of faking it till you make it. Like they see blackness as making it. Like, like I'm here, I'm, I'm in my community. You know, I, I have people say that with the same things to me. Like they'll say, oh, well, you're doing so good with your, your podcast. One day you'll be mainstream. Maybe you'll be on TV. And I'm like, why would I want to be mainstream? Like, that's a yeah. step down for me. That's not, you know, that's not, that does not appeal to me. That would be very stressful and irritating to me. I, I don't want to answer emails from a bunch of ignorant rednecks that saw me on Fox News or CNN that yeah. day, you know? Right. So uh, ultimately I think that's, that self-love is, is critical because yes. of what you're saying, if you care about something, if you value something and you love that thing, you're going to invest in that thing. You know, you're not going to kind of treat it like the side chick. You know, like if you if you love a woman at the highest level, she's going to be your main chick. Now, don't mean you won't have a side chick. I'm not judging that. Right. <laughs> Guys do. People do what they do. But 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 she's going to be your main, not your side. Right? right. So black people, to some extent, have made ourselves the political and economic side chick of, mm. of, of our most successful people. Because mm. you and I, all of us, you know, grew up in, you know, in, in, in a generation where your goal was to get out of the hood and to get away from, you know, your own people. You know what I'm talking about, right? right. Get the house right. in the suburbs and the fancy job yep. and all this other stuff. And, uh, and, and then, it, it, you know, so what we realize now, in my view, is when you talk about self-awareness and self-love, you start turning inward and, and instead of outward. And that's where the infrastructure development comes into play. So I'll give you an example. It, you know, I, a lot of times I'll hear about uh, some famous celebrity where they will uh, they'll say, you know, yeah, you know, I, I donated fifty thousand dollars to HBCUs this year or whatever. But then when you hear what they did with their real money, like, you know, five, ten million dollars, they, they've invested that in, in some startup in Silicon right. Valley, you know, <laughs> right. run by a bunch of nerdy white boys, you know, like, like how did that nerdy white guy get next to knives? I mean, most black people can't get next to knives. Right. Well, it's because the nerdy white boy is connecting them to the big money and, and what he sees as the big opportunity. So what I've always said is that for those of us who are considered successful, um, uh, I, I would rather see it be the other way around. Okay. You do your, your spare change projects with other communities, but your big boy money, when you make that $5 million investment, what is there in your own community you can invest in at that level? Um, I think that those investments do exist. I really do. I just think that we see our, um, our people as, uh, as, as sort of almost like an extracurricular activity. Like I'm going to spend my nine to five working for them and, and building their companies and their communities. But then I'll, maybe on the weekend, I'll go back to the hood, go to a black church, or I'll go downtown and go to a, you know, the boys club and donate a few hours to my community. So, 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 so ultimately what you were saying, Bill, about the development of that infrastructure, um, I realized that the most impactful I could be as a scholar was when, uh, just to see the reverse here, when I was in Syracuse, I spent most of my time teaching kids who were mostly not black. It was mm-hmm. mostly Jewish kids, Asian kids, et cetera. And they went on to Wall Street, they made a ton of money. And I would go and do what I could with my community, but I had to do it uh, after work or when I wasn't at my job. Well, the, the, I became much more impactful, but tenfold when I said, no, my main job will be spending that time with my people. And mm-hmm. I spend now I spend so much time with black people that I don't even I could go three weeks without talking to a person who's not black, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that to me is is is, I think, a good model that we can seek out in terms of what it means to really develop a successful career as, as a black person. I agree. And, and, I, and I think, you know, to your point, Bill, when you were talking about the banks, 
You know, I think a lot of that comes down to uh, trust, but trust verify, because actually one of the challenges uh, right now uh, with things like banks, black banks, is that, man, we don't do mergers in the black community with businesses. You know, mm -hmm. we don't do mergers and acquisitions. So when you start looking at our inability to provide uh, services other than uh, uh, auto loans, it's because we don't consolidate. And that, it seems like that is a thing that's related to trust, uh, ego, who's going to be the head Negro in charge, et cetera. Yep. Yep. You yes. know, and, and, and as you know, if there's any, you know, if there's any place where consolidation and mergers and acquisitions take place, that's in finance. That's a, that, you know, that's in the banking industry, you know, because the banking industries that we have now, you know, uh, doesn't look like what it looked like in pre 2009, you know, so that's just the nature of, of really how you build enterprise and scale. And we don't do that well enough, you know, but also, you know, I also want to, that's an excellent, that's an excellent point, by the way, right. my, my brother has actually spoken to me quite about that quite a lot. He's actually taking a position out in Tulsa where he's going to, uh, man, you know, he's, he's positioned himself to be a fund manager and, um, and that's literally one of the things that he's talked about a lot is uh, acquiring businesses and consolidation and all that stuff. And, uh, and I agree with exactly what you said, Ahmad, um, you know, and I, I want to be really careful when I tell people about the importance of ownership and things like that. Ownership uh, doesn't mean you always have to be the man, you know, mm -hmm. and, and if you look at the model of black leadership, you know, our male egos kick in and, and we want to be the man and then it becomes a competition and, 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 and then nothing works. Right. You know, they're like, OK, well, he's the, he's the man. So let's go kill him or discredit him and we'll kill the whole movement, yeah. et cetera. And uh, and what I've actually been trying to you know impress upon people is, is the importance of relationships. People think it's really weird. The last year and a half or so, I've been talking heavily about relationships. It's because I realized that the ability to maintain healthy relationships with each other, particularly us as men, uh, is that's your key to power. You know, uh, Bill Thomason and I have been buddies for a long time. We we would go five, six years without talking. But every time I talk to Bill, I remember how great I felt talking to him last time. I don't even remember what we talked about last before the last time we <laughs> talked. But I remember it was a good conversation. He's a good man. So we partner together and we're powerful together. And uh, and it's very important for men and women as well. When you're talking about really playing this powernomics game, you have to understand power is a team sport. And your ego has to be checked at the door. You know, uh, be, be proud together, but don't feel like I got to I, I have to be I, my definition of success is that I'm better than that Negro over there. You yeah. got to be careful about that because that's very destructive, very toxic energy. Next thing you know, you'll be out here trying to conquer the world by yourself and you get your ass kicked. You, you, yeah, you get smashed. Man, you know, I was just sitting here thinking what you're saying, boys. And, you know, I, I've always been critical of the black church. Uh, of what they could do and what they're not doing. And I was just thinking here thinking, that's one of the reasons why I think you see so many black churches, because that's one of the one of the places that a black man can go and he can be head Negro in charge. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's, the, it's the one place in the community where he can go and be head Negro in charge and run things where nobody will question him. That's a Well, I think I think the I think that the the uh, the preacher, the pastor, whatever you want to call, it, I think that he's just kind of emblematic of our, our how we construct a leadership narrative around black people, which is the Moses model. You know, so so there is someone who 
has these skills is that that's going to transform a group of people, you know, and that model has been a mainstay in the community. And what I think Boyce is saying, especially in today's world, that we live in a complex world, right? And things are nonlinear and you cannot, you cannot navigate in this space without collaboration. You cannot navigate in this space without um, uh, without networks, because complexity doesn't allow for you, you know, to uh, to be that Moses, that Moses figure, or or the kind of the great man figure. And so, I think a lot of that right now for us, when you start looking at leadership, is really around like, you know, how do we start, you know, telling the story? How do we start communicating a narrative of relationships and networks? you know, as, as part of kind of this whole idea around economics, you know, because, you know, and, and I'll stop here in a moment, but, you know, we are kind of now in a state of behavioral economics, you know, and behavioral economics is not, um, it's, it's not a linear way of kind of thinking. It's a, it's a very non-irrational way um, in which behavior gets to show itself. And I think so often, um, you know, our preachers, that model that you're talking about, Bill, like it's so easy to tell that story of deliverance, mm -hmm. you know, but that, that, that model of deliverance doesn't work anymore, man. Like it has to be about a narrative of collaboration and driving networks, you know, in the community. Yeah, well, you know, that's where, that's where things like mental health come into play. Um, you know, I, yeah, I get yeah. frustrated on Instagram when I, go to go to ig and i see some comedian that's got two million followers but then i'll see some brilliant therapist who's posting amazing life trans transformative <laughs> information and they got you know they've got two, uh, two, two. Hundred followers right, yeah they right. got two they get they get one <laughs> like you know on a, on a post and you yeah. know and, but the girl the big booty got a hundred thousand <laughs> right right I mean, that right there speaks to you know um, <laughs> it speaks to very uh immature short-sighted um uh, very um, instant gratification -ish, uh, kind of behavior. It doesn't mean doesn't mean you can't appreciate that lady with a nice body. You can't appreciate the joke from the comedian, but the comedians are not going to lead you out of this mess that you're in. You know, the, the comedians are not the one. The comedians are the, the people that have always you know they they've always you know done well because they they could you, they, you can make white people laugh. They're always going to reward you for that. Right, right, um, right. It goes back to slavery. Dr. Anderson doc documents that actually in his books. Um, but to me, it's sort of like I'm going to listen to that therapist, too, because the therapist helps you overcome the trauma that you've experienced as a black person in America that will allow you to form healthy relationships with other black people out here. There has never been a community every anywhere in the history of this earth that I can think of where you were able to build true wealth and true power with a community full of broken families and babies, mamas and baby daddy drama and all this other stuff. You, you can't. You, it's not possible. Family. Uh, is, is one example, just one of a thousand examples uh, of where uh, collaboration is extremely important for the uh, acquisition and the uh, maintenance and protection of power. So effectively, when you just look at things like uh, the rate of baby mama, baby daddy is, and that's probably costing black people at least two or three trillion dollars every generation. Mm -hmm. That right there, you know, when you look mm -hmm. at just, you know, the child support courts and, and, and the drama and, and the damage, psychological yep. damage done to the children, just all of that, you know, abandonment issues, whatever. So um, I would say that, you know, that, that learning that collaborative spirit is a big part of it 
but that has to also start with working on self, right. like self healing. Like, like if you're showing yeah. up and you've already done all the training on, on teamwork and everything else, but I show up as a damaged, traumatized, truly fucked up human being, then I'm not going to even be able to receive what you're offering me. In fact, in fact, Ooh, you facts, brother. With me will be dangerous yep. for you. It will be dangerous. Yeah. It's like yep. it's like the, uh, the the Spider-Man movie that was so great. I took my kids to see the Spider-Man movie last. We went to see, we did something that's real dangerous for old people. We went to a movie. All right, right don't, don't spoil us, brother, because I ain't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to tell you movie, but, but part of the narrative was literally part of the narrative. This I think this is why I like the Spider-Man movies, because if you notice in the Spider-Man movie, the villains are never truly evil. The villains are always good people where something terrible happened to them and then they became evil right, because right. of what happened to them, right? That, I said, man, I know a whole lot of people like that. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> like, you know, they were good That's kids true. and yep. they just turned bad. The world made them evil, right? That's and, a uh, good and point. So Spider-Man's big choice was, do I just, you know, if they're evil, do I just kill them or do I help heal them, right? Mm-hmm. So so that that to me is the ultimate dilemma of, of the black man and the black woman, you know? Because, you know, when, when, when Joe Biden saw the results of, of you know, of, of, of broken homes and everything else back in the 90s. He said, let's just get rid of them. That's right. He did. People forget that, man. They forget man, they, that. They better not forget. Well, they want to forget it. Yeah. They want to yeah. forget it. I don't know whether they can forget it, you know. You, you, it's it's all around you. It's yeah, all yeah. around you, right? And Because and, uh, a lot of those babies who grew up in that are grown up now, and you see the trauma playing out everywhere. And so, so Biden's solution was you know, let's just get rid of them. Let's get our rhythm, start all over again. You know, uh, whereas obviously we have a different stake in the community. These are our people. So obviously we have to find ways to heal ourselves and heal each other. But that requires a shift in thinking when it comes to things like the value of therapy. I have stated a million times, every single black person I know needs therapy, including me. I got I got two therapists I talk to on a regular basis and a leadership coach who doubles as a therapist and I married a therapist. I didn't count my life. Right? I'll tell you, I constantly around I can talk to to help me keep from uh, becoming triggered by the things that I see and the experiences I have. You know, and and I and I just think that what so what that allows you to do is it allows you to really show up as a person that is worth collaborating with. Because, you know, you know, yeah. some, some people, you know, if they haven't resolved their trauma, it, it becomes really tough to kind of try to figure out how to, you know, so you think about it, right? You look at, um, you go to Hollywood and you see some movie that's made where you had a, a 2,000 people that all work together to create this big project. Well, if one person comes in and they're not, you know, they're, they're mentally off and acting crazy and doing crazy stuff, they're going to kick that person out of the project or the project will fall apart. Right. So so my thought is that in order for us as a community to engage in a lot of that collaboration and consolidation and working together that you talk about, we have to really make it a priority to heal ourselves from everything that we go through. Ooh, brother, you you throwing down. Man. I I mean, shoot, I mean that I whew, mic drop, man, because I, I think, you know, it, it's it's really about, you know, who who are you when you deploy yourself into these networks, you know, into your community? Who are you? I think that's what I hear you saying, man, is that there's a lot of work to be done uh, before you deploy yourself and be a contributor in a way that 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 gets to really build. And I think, um, you know, Bill and I, you know, with I am five fifths, I think that's part of the, the, you know, part of our work and part of our mission is that, you know, we, we don't spend a lot of time talking about, you know, 
dismantling systems, even though we know that those things exist um, uh, as and can be barriers. But it's really about, man, like how can, you know, we bring people in like yourself and others to really talk. And we've had some incredible people on here, but really to talk about, you know, your own sense of agency, your own sense of self-awareness and your own growth, you know, to how you can deploy yourself, man. So I think you just, you really kind of nailed it on that one, brother. Appreciate that one. Oh, wow. yeah. I appreciate the chance to talk to you guys. And I, 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 I get, I get, I get passionate about this stuff and, and, and you talk about triggering, like, you know, <laughs> I get, I, I still get triggered sometimes. And I think that, that and what it does is it causes me to talk longer than I should. No, you're good, bro. You guys you're let good, me get man. Right. Well, you're good. I'm telling you, man, it, it, you know, this, this whole, we're all in this journey together. And I think, um, Ain't nothing to it, but to really do your best. Uh, we are all on some level, uh, highly imperfect human beings. And some of us are flat out broken in certain ways, but you know, but you can't give up on yourself. You can't give up on each other, you know? Um, and, yeah. that, and that's what uh, I believe in deeply. So I appreciate uh, you guys inviting me on. And yeah. me Thank you. So, so we, have, we have a couple more questions for you, brother. We, we, we don't want to hold you too long here, but um, so, you know, Bill and I, we were talking about, you know, 2021 with the pandemic and, you know, everyone's kind of talking about the, you know, the, 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 what it looks like on the other side that, you know, the impact of that, what, what's your take on this pandemic and where, and where that leaves uh, black America and black people? First of all, I think it's got to the point where the bullshit is beyond digestible. Um, a lot of fear porn, in my opinion, you know, um, I'm not saying that it, it obviously isn't fake. It's not that this virus thing is fake, but the response to it doesn't make a lot of sense to me when I look at the numbers. But it does make sense, I guess, when you when you when you see when you look at it through other people's perspective. So if I tell you 800,000 people died from something, that's a big number. And that's going to be very scary. You know, cause and some people even know someone who has died. Sure. But, but the thing is, as a mathematician, I didn't go back to the percentages and I say 800,000, it all, it's only a big number. If you compare it to something, right. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you compare it to the percentage of people who actually caught that virus, it's very, very small, you know, and what tends to happen is that when we are in fear, we exaggerate the probability of that thing happening to us. So it's like, if I watch the news every night in New York city and they tell me about 10 people that got killed in New York that day, I'm going to be thinking, Oh, I might be next. I, I might die. Especially if those people look like me, yep. you know? And so um, I think that what I wish we could do is take the, take the, take the, um, the fear, take the information and just process it in the right way. You know, be safe. You, you, you have risks that exist, but everybody ain't going to die tomorrow most of us are going to live. You're probably going to live. Right. And, uh, and, and then you have to decide whether or not how you want to move forward at that point, you know? And, uh, and so, you know, I look at our kids, our son got tired of being locked up in the house and couldn't do anything, couldn't do anything fun, giving up his whole youth because, you know, of this thing that probably wasn't, that wasn't killing any of his friends. And, uh, and I, and I just told him, I said, go live your life, man. You know, you live your life. I mean, you, you're not, you're not going to die. And um, and I think that's OK to say. And I, I think it's very sad that there are people who get offended when you simply say, I'm not going to stop living because of this thing. 
so so I think that's the part that bothers me and and also just the medical apartheid of basically saying that people who don't put this substance in their body are not allowed to participate in life in certain places like LA that have gone way too extreme. I think that's wrong. Um, I, I be, you know, and I think the science is showing all of that, right? Uh, but it, it's, uh, so I think going forward, um, I'm a believer just in information. Uh, I don't, so I don't really like the um, news networks anymore. I don't like the MSNBC, CNNs, Fox News, there's none of that. Because what they're doing is they're not really just giving you facts. They're kind of giving you your opinion. And, and you can always tell who watches those networks the most because they literally repeat what they yeah. heard on the networks. And that to me is, that's a sign of brainwashing. Yeah. So, uh, so, so as a result, our country's moved closer than ever to civil war. Uh, there, there are researchers now saying that we're very close to a civil war. And, uh, and I don't know if we're going to come back from that. So that, that, that's how I'm feeling. Well, who, I think who, who's, the civil, who's the civil war going to be again? So who, who are going to be the factions in that? I think it'll be, I, I think I, I see the right wingers, the far right wingers against the far left wingers, you know, who've taken that more authoritarian posi- position to say, we're going to put these mandates and these laws in place. And then you got the people say in the South and other places who are saying, fuck you, we're not doing it. You know, and even the governors getting real bold and sticking their chest out saying, you know, you better not do that here. And I, I wonder if at some point it'll get to the point where the federal government is trying to impose something on the states where, you know, in Texas, they say, look, we got a lot of good. We got more guns than people. We ready for all of that. Like, I, I, I wonder if there will be a point where there will be some sort of official standoff. You know, uh, I, I think even um, down in Florida, I've seen Ron DeSantis do things with the National Guard, yeah, you know, yeah. in the State Guard and all this other stuff. And and I just wonder if that's ever going to come to a, you know, to a to a to a, a boiling point. Sure, sure. Right? So so I but I don't think it'll be like, a you know, some war where a bunch of proud boys are going to get together and go kill a bunch of black people. I, I just haven't seen anything like that. I, I'm right. not saying white supremacists don't exist. But um, that that don't scare me. White supremacists don't scare me. I mean, they they can think they can think they're superior all day. I just I know it's not true, so I don't really care. Well, you know, when we were talking about putting this agenda together, man, you know, Ahmad and I were saying, man, it's so much stuff that happened this year, right? Right? Like, you know, you talk about a pandemic. We, you know, it's on and on and on and on, right? I cannot let this conversation in, man without me and you talking about crypto, right? (laughs) Like we cannot close this out, man, without having a conversation around crypto and how is this going to be like the next new asset class, right? And I don't know if you've had, you know, you could tell Dr. Anderson, man, you got a young brother uh, who has watched him like as a kid, I watched Dr. Anderson. Uh, His books, man, were part of my uh, required reading in my household. I think, boys, I think I told you, man, you know, my mom uh, was an educator, worked on her PhD. She actually got, did everything uh, to get her PhD. She just never defended her dissertation because she was in her 60s and she was like, what's the point, right? She didn't really care, (laughs) you know, but Claude Anderson, man, that was a cat, like it was part of my required reading growing up. What are your thoughts on crypto and and its its impact, not just on the community, but now I'm seeing more and more black folks getting involved in it. Like you just connected me with a woman who's a part of your organization that runs your black crypto club. And I'm looking forward to rapping with her. So 
thoughts, feedback? Um, I, I think you don't want to miss out on crypto. I mean, crypto uh -huh. is, is, is becoming more significant every day. Um, I, I thought Bitcoin was going to hit 100,000 by the end of this year. And I feel like it could have if you didn't have those disruptions, you know, that that all that FUD kind of being thrown at it. You know, they mm -hmm. they wasn't putting too much respect on Bitcoin's name this year. They were kind of kind of kind of spitting on it a little bit. And I think that that kind of affected the price. But I think that based on supply, demand and uh, assuming that the market's allowed to grow unfettered, uh, I, I see Bitcoin and Ethereum really taking off. There are a few other quality cryptos in there as well. Um, what I tell people is be careful about the really speculative and junk cryptos. Um, I think that in an environment like this, uh, where you have um, so much uh, money being made uh, and, and, and investor enthusiasm, you're going to attract the scammers who are just going to throw up anything yep. and say, oh, yep. we got a new coin, buy this new coin. And they're really selling you nothing. Right. So um, I, I would tell people in terms of um, how you think about crypto as an investment, uh, as an asset class, I would I would consider it to be part of a healthy portfolio. I don't put more Good. than I don't put more than, say, seven to eight percent of my portfolio in crypto because I, because I it, it still makes me a little bit nervous in certain areas. But uh, but I think when you talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum, I, I don't think you can go wrong. I think long term, uh, I, I, I'd be stunned if those two asset classes didn't increase in price significantly. And then I spread out and dabble with with maybe 10 or 15 other different okay. coins. Uh, but but those are the two I really believe in. So I think also crypto is incredibly important when you talk about metaverse uh, moves mm -hmm. and, and how that's going to evolve. So I see this world where there are some things that we know are almost with complete certainty are going to be massive industries. And one is crypto. Uh, one is obviously all this metaverse talk. Metaverse is coming. Ain't, 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 ain't going to change that. Uh, electric vehicles, yeah. uh, you know, some of those Kathy Wood ish kinds of investments. I think mm -hmm. Kathy Wood is right on point with that. Yep. Um, I think that she, you know, but I think if you measure her success based on the last say six months or something like over, you know, six to 12 month time horizon, you're going to miss the bigger picture. She's a, she's a 10 year investor. So I think the things she's invested in are going to be these things that, that just change a whole generation. Right. Um, I think cannabis uh, longer term is an inevitability in terms of uh, money being made there eventually. I don't want to try to pick the winners in these industries because I think that's hard to do, but there are ways you can invest in a diversified way where you're going to have a piece of that action when it finally pops off. So, you know, I, I will tell you as, as a person who strongly believes in is an advocate for, and actually does financial education, man, I want to just thank you for your voice because you know, you're one of the few cats out here that I look at and it's not, I feel like it's some kind of a money grab. Cause you know, I've seen a lot of cats out here doing financial literacy and I just feel like it's some kind of a money grab behind it. You're a cat, I can tell you're in it because you really do want to empower people and you really want to educate people. And, 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 I'm, and I'm looking at like even the people that I've met recently, the people that you have brought around you, you know, you're trying to bring people that really care about the community. So, you know, as, as we said, I think early, man, like with Claude Anderson, uh, giving him his flowers, man, I want to give you yours because it ain't a lot of cats, man, that's out here really trying to do that and doing it from a perspective of, 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 uh, 
holisticness. Is that a right word, Ahmad? Holistic, hol, holisticness. It, it, it is. You say so, brother. Hey, 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 man. You know, like, like, uh, alone, man. Alone. Like, I, I, as I told both of y'all brothers, if I put both of y'all brothers' degrees together, I could start my own universities, right? <laughs> Between y'all brothers, y'all got so many degrees. I know in my I lost count on how many degrees that brother got. So I just, but I want to say, man, you know, as we, man, we've been rapping for a little bit over an hour, man. And I, I look at this conversation, man, this would be one of those conversations that could go on probably for two or three or four hours. So boys, all I could say is brother, I hope this is not the last time you could we could get you on I am five fifths, man. Yeah, we, we, we actually a even, regular cat. Yeah, we actually even talked about what we want to do is to periodically, man, just have folks like yourself come on, man, and just give and just give uh, uh, some big picture perspective. You know, really based on your industry. You know, based on you know what what some touch points that you're you're seeing happening out there, man. Just to give our audience uh, a perspective that that we're that we're seeking to provide them. So with that said, man, um, as you look at 2022, so what's what's up for you in 2022, man? What what, what gets you excited? Well, let's see. Um, well, let's see. The first thing that's going to happen in 20, well, this ain't 20, this is 2021 is uh, I, have, I have a meeting in about three minutes. So I, that, that's okay. the first okay. thing. All right. All okay. right. All right. All right. No, no, it's all good though. I, I um, you know, for the uh, rest of the year, man, we're going to, um, really just double down, you know, like, I, like, I don't think when you were talking about what you were saying earlier about the, you know, the money and all in the money grabs and stuff, I don't think there's anything wrong with making money, you know? No, like, oh, no, I run a hedge fund, brother. I'm with yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with yeah, you. Well, I, I know we agree. I know you agree with that. Yeah. And I think it's like, and I, and just anybody listening, the money is not the issue. It's, it's a matter of where your priorities are. Right. Like, like, so I will say that, for us, the the uh, integrity of our people, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the strength of our community, those things come first. And then if there's a way to make a living in the context of that, go for it. But uh, but to your point, um, you know, it, you can't just sell anything for money. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the, you have to be able to walk away from money. Um, and, and I can say that it was uh, in the beginning, that decision to walk away from certain money and to realize all money ain't good money. That that is, I think, the thing that it, anybody listening should consider is what money are you willing to walk away from? Because if you if you would take money anytime, anywhere from anybody, then you will eventually dwindle into nothing. You you will become a shadow of yourself. You won't recognize who you are, and you won't like that person very much. And so, um, with that said, you know, uh, in 2022, man, we uh, I got a book coming out. It's called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. Okay, uh, that's going to come out mar- in March. Um, okay, also. We're doing some big events. We're doing a generational wealth conference with uh, Julian Gordon, a real estate expert. Uh, we are, we are. Oh, that's a Bay Area cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I man, I know that brother. Tell him I said hello, man. Yeah, I, I know that brother. He yeah, was, he was at Stanford back in the yep. day. Yep. Yeah. I think I think he used to hang around the Wizards program. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Julian's a great guy, man. A yeah. great guy. And um, he's actually the dean of real estate in the Black Business School. And I, okay. I, just, I love. Okay. The guy. I respect. We, we should we should get we should get him on here sometime. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can make the connect, and yeah, um, yeah. and then uh, I know if anybody that's going to the Essence Music Festival, we're doing a, a two day event. 
right right at the essence. Uh, I don't want to be oh man. Yeah, I don't want to be in the essence fest. That's that's not quite my my space, but but I'll be right next door. Uh, we got we got the whole <laughs> Weston right next door. Oh uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. In, in case you really want that hardcore you know, stuff. In, in case Cardi B just happened to walk by, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. So we got a few other things, man. And uh, and I and I hate I hate having to bounce out, man. I got I got this dang meeting. But no, I, brother, we appreciate you. So much. We're boys, man. It's been great, man, and we look forward to uh, keeping this conversation going. And um, and we look forward to seeing what you're doing in 2022, man. Sounds sounds fun and exciting. And uh, and Bill, and we better avoid that that Essence Festival, bro. You know, you know, you, you know how you roll, man. Oh man, see, don't even, don't even. So, boys, again, brother, thank you. We wish you a beautiful, prosperous 2022, man. And hopefully, we can get you back on here real soon, man. All right, brothers. All right, brother. Good to see you both. All right, peace, man. man. All right, peace, brother. All right, peace.